Thank you for joining us on this episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett, where we examine current and emerging technologies through the lens of diversity and equality. Okay. Hi. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about generations of technology. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, 3G, 4G, 5G, LTE, what's the next one? And also, the thing that I sort of like about this topic is like all technologies go through generations. So, you know, when you're picking up your new cell phone, uh, you know, you always hear about like, well, does it support? Originally, it was 3G, then 4G, then 5G. And all that G and the... 3G, 4G, 5G stands for is just generation. So it's like we started with 3G, which was the first generation, well, first, I guess it's technically the third generation of uh, uh, mobile internet, but it was the first that most people used. And as they've been improving it, they've been bumping the number up. So we went from 3G to 4G to 5G. And then I think LTE is just sort of a different flavor of all that. And it's it's just interesting to me that, you know, we always try, we start with something, we find what works about it, what doesn't work about it. And then we iterate off of that into the next generation and hopefully make things, uh, make things better so that, you know, whatever we're on now, whether it's 5G or LTE, like it's great for today, but I find it interesting that in two years or five years or 10 years, we're going to look back at this time and think like, Ooh, how do we even manage? Like everything was so slow because, technology keeps getting better and better and better. And uh, it, it makes me very hopeful for the future. <laughs> yeah. You know, the interesting thing about that. So um, we start out those big giant phones that I have one. I have to go find. I think you've seen them. My picture, I think you may have seen your oh, picture. Yeah. Um, so 1G and 2G were the technologies that were used on the original first mobile phone or whatever you call those things. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was an analog service that really didn't have a lot of the features that we recognize in 3G and 4G and all that stuff. And so each generation has been an improvement on the other generation, long-term uh, evolution or LTE, you know, stuck, slipped in there between 3G and 4G. And every once in a while, you see your phone still goes to LTE. If you look at your phone, mm -hmm. especially if you're um, using, um, cell service versus Wi-Fi, you know, you'll see it go to LTE. And that just means that uh, the network that you have, your carrier is, is managing uh, response times, right? So how much bandwidth can you have? So you, maybe you have a 5G phone, which you may end up at 4G or even 3G or LTE because they're trying to manage that. And if you look at your contract with your cell phone carrier, your internet carrier, you'll see there's a little thing in the very, very finest print of all that they can choose to slow your speed to support their whole network. So if, if it was only just you and I, we would be 5G in every day. But because there are a gazillion people in the world, they have to modulate how much bandwidth they can give it so you might not get that full 5g and all the benefits of 5g if you're in a crowded place say like if you're on duke's campus where there are gazillion cell phones and all kinds of other technology or if you're in rural areas right so they don't have a strong bandwidth or a, a broadband network out there to support you so th there's so much complication about how these technologies are given and and, and offered to customers and so 
it's not like they have a big piece of pie and there are a gazillion slices. It's one pie and all of us are trying to get a piece, a slice of that to complete our service. Like if you remember, I don't know how you were when 9-11 happened. It's been quite a while, but people couldn't call New York. Yep. I mean, so, you know, New York has a vast cellular network, but you couldn't get a call out. And same thing happened in Oklahoma when uh, the man bombed the uh, federal building. So what happens is, is a lot of times when there's a rush for service, you don't either get no service or you get downgraded to whatever they can afford to give you to complete your service. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a really good point. And it's very uh, I hadn't even thought about uh, when 9-11 happened there. Uh, I was in new jersey for a work thing and like i couldn't call anybody like nobody could call anything like the phones were like dead useless yeah yeah it was everybody you everybody was just watching tv like that was the only communication which was like how old was i at the time i guess i was like 23 at the time and like it was scary right like it's like well no more flying no more telephones like everything is just coming through the tv now like what's gonna happen um the saturation pieces, I think, are very interesting as well, because, you know, like the more and we talk about this a lot as well. A good point that you always bring up is like, think of how much data you're just using on any given day. Like we are generating so much data, like passively, not when we log in to look at Netflix, but just all the time we're generating you know, like background radiation data that's going towards ads, locations, like all of our stuff. And that's only going to increase. Like we're not going to start transmitting less data. And that sort of forces all of these mobile technologies to just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Like we're going to have to have a bigger pie. We're going to have to have more pieces. We're going to have to have more and more and more and more. And uh, and I always find it funny that, you know, when we got 3G, 3G seemed like so fast, right? Like it was amazing. And then 4G came out. And if you ever switched from 4G back to 3G, 3G should have just been called like no internet. <laughs> it was, it, it would get so slow. And what I had read about that was it was just over congested, right? Like it's not necessarily slower than it was when you only had 3G, but it just got to a point where everyone had 3G and there just wasn't enough space to ever get out of it. And it never like frees up. Like people are always going to use 3G. Like you know, maybe not your phone, but maybe your e-reader now has a 3G connection and it's going to be, you know, constantly downloading books. But uh, it's just so crazy that it goes from 3G so fast to the next year you use it. And it's like, oh, well, it should just say no internet because this is unusable. Like the pages are timing out before they can fully even load. Absolutely. And I think one of the interesting pieces about that is that we don't always associate you know, what these te technologies and terms mean when we hear them, right? So we're all so happy. Everybody in America wants 5G because the manufacturers and the cell uh, towers and the phone makers have all ta taunted 5G. But mm -hmm. what again, in that fine print, you do not have unlimited 5G. You have limited 5G. So for example, I live on the Durham-Chapel Hill line. So I walk on my back door, I'm in Chapel Hill. I walk on my front door, I'm in Durham. Yeah. Chapel Hill has very poor Verizon service. And I don't know what that is. Maybe Chapel Hill has put some restrictions on, you know, service. Because for a long time, Chapel Hill was just a quaint town. It, it, it's exploded in the last 10 years. But I mean, it was just really terrible service. So if you are riding, say, we're coming from Hillsboro and we ride through Chapel Hill to get to Durham, mm -hmm. I may drop the call. <laughs> and that happens all the time. 
and, and to further that, you know, I don't know if you paid attention or if our listeners have paid attention. So when 5G was first released really last year, earlier this year, you know, in that little space, it's, it's been around for a while. They've been testing it for a while in markets. But, but when it released it to the broader public, the first thing that came up was the airlines, right? So airplanes use this, you know, satellites and all these other methods of communications to get their bearings straight. And so here this 5G is, and I don't think very many people thought about why the airlines was requesting the carriers to hold off going to 5G because of the, for them to get their act together, right? Yeah. And, and the point of this is, is that we're so interconnected with other things that it's not easy just to come out there and say, we're going to do this because it's always a money issue, right? So to get 5G all around the world, just think about what those carriers had to spend to get that case and still you know you know one of the things that's also a little side piece you know they're talking about getting rid of uh daylight to uh another oh, yeah. uh, one more and i was that would it daylight savings or daylight standard or and rolling back to uh whatever the other one is in the yeah. fall and springing forward in this in this in the spring and summer i mean yeah. like because they've got to factor all those kinds of things in. So what time is it right now in India or what time is it in Japan or wherever it is? And so, you know, so some part of their market, so we could say East coast, West coast. So from five o'clock to about nine o'clock in the morning on the East coast, you can have almost all of that bandwidth because California is asleep. Yeah. The West and asleep Midwest, you know, they're starting to wake up, but you know, so then and just taking America, when all of America is, is up in about, say, noon, uh, noon in America, just think about the pull on the bandwidth and those services just at that time. Then China, Japan, Russia, whoever it is, all of those people, if their time frame allow, aligns with ours, that's a bigger pull on a very narrow resource that everybody needs and uses, right? So why does your phone want you to be on Wi-Fi versus 5G? If you ever do an iPhone update, if you've got your phone set to uh, cellular, when it reboots, it turns into Wi-Fi. Why do you think that is true? Uh, so I always assume that's a, I assume that's Apple trying to protect the consumer from cost because, and it may be not the consumer's cost, but someone else's cost. Because when you are, so if I'm on my phone at home, in general, I'm on Wi-Fi and that's connecting through like my home internet provider. But if I turn off Wi-Fi, like I may not know the difference, but now instead of on my home network, I'm now connected to that like big shared mobile network, which is not going to be quite as robust as my internet service provider. Uh, we run into that a lot with uh, my son, James, like he'll what, you know, kids use like their phones all the time now. Right. Right. Like, right. Live with it. Yeah, 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 exactly. I think Evan has his on his pillow, you know. Like, wait till that really becomes a requirement <laughs> for you to have that phone on you all the time. Lord, I yeah. hate my phone. I, I just, don't call me, don't text me. <laughs> yes, yes. But like he would get, like he would turn off the home, like he would turn off his Wi-Fi because he perceived the like external Wi-Fi or the LTE, 3G, 4G, 5G to be faster, which... I know our network speeds and I know that is not the case. I know our home network is way faster than the, right. than the mobile network, but you know, for whatever reason he was doing something and it seemed like it was faster going mobile. So he would just like turn off his Wi-Fi and use mobile all the time, which I guess wasn't a huge deal because we have unlimited 
data or whatever on our cell phones. But at the same time, you know, he's taking away from those like shared resources when he could be using our sort of dedicated, uh, like, hey, we're at home, we use our own internet <laughs> connection. Right. And, uh, you know, this is maybe a little bit too much side knowledge, but our home internet has like lots of ad blocking and things like that. So it's a little bit safer. So that's like another reason like, oh, just use like the home network because we have that sort of optimized for Stinnett family use using <laughs> Stinnett family usage. But when you leave your home and mm -hmm. go out, mm -hmm. you don't, unless you go to a public Wi-Fi, you know, and there are a gazillion of them. And we talked about this a lot. Don't use them to do banking or anything important. Just use it to uh, scroll through Macy's sales or something like that. <laughs> but yeah. Don't buy anything or anything like that. Don't use Wi-Fi in public. Yeah. But the interesting piece is that you do not have a consistent Wi-Fi signal when you're not in your own home network. So when you go to... Um, I don't know, your favorite beer place to go and you're, you're sitting around, you've either got to use cellular data or you've got to connect to their Wi-Fi, mm -hmm. that, you know, in that space is Wi-Fi. And as they have said a million times, when you're on Wi-Fi, everybody can see you. Now, if you go the route of putting a VPN or some kind of a, a, a barrier or firewall in front of your actions, that might give you a little bit more sense of safety in a public space. But 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 the traversing from Wi-Fi to date, cellular data and back and forth and cellular data, all those G's and LTEs fall on the cellular uh, data. But can, going back and forth between those two things, many of us don't even stop to look. You know, so you know when you go into a restaurant, we're in the middle of March Madness right now. So if you go into a restaurant in the Carolina or Duke or somebody's game is on, you want to see it, you're you're stuck with your cellular or Wi-Fi, and some mm -hmm. organizations only allow you to connect to their Wi-Fi, that you can't use cellular in those spaces. So it's it's not as seamless as we would hope it would be. And it takes a little bit of understanding to understand what you have. And I think one of the things I'm always you know cautious about is how often we introduce a new technology to our consumers without explaining yeah. the pros and cons of those technologies. And so all of us, uh, I'll give you a little side story. When phones first came out, my daughter got a cell phone. I think she might have been either in high school or college, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. The first bill was like $1,200. I almost yeah. fainted when I saw it, you know? Yeah. Because there's so much to understand about what these things are and what they mean. So, you know, if you've got young kids and you give them a phone, like most of us do, you know, we start them off in the crib when they're born, two, three days later, we put a cell phone in their hand. A couple of weeks later, we give them a tablet. And by the time they're a year old, they have a laptop and they're coding, you know, mm -hmm. uh, algorithms. In reality, these digital natives have parents who are not. Yeah. And so the digital native might know how to do all the slick things on their phone or on their computer but they don't understand all the intricate interworkings of how all that goes together. And phones are one of those places where I think we should be really cautious for cost, right? So mm -hmm. the unlimited plan you mentioned, but in most cases, most people can't afford an unlimited plan unless you have 20 people on, you have 20 lines, something like that. But, yeah. but for the most part, most people can't afford unlimited data. And, and, and then the fact is that you're not always getting the benefit of your cellular network because there are lots of times it comes and goes right up yep. down wi-fi all those things yep but but your point that you made about apple trying to save us money 
one of the interesting pieces about that is when they first, so what, 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 what is, what, what is the phone on now? I have no idea what version it is. Every time I get a new phone, <laughs> it kicks out all of my uh, non um, iPhone people. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, that's, so we are 15, four now. And so this a little small caveat off topic again, update your phone when the updates come out, you can wait a week or two, you know, there'll be a dot one eventually. So if you're at uh, 14.9 or 14.12, whatever that last update was for the cellular, 15.1 is probably the best place to update. You know, you don't want to update at 15 <laughs> because what we find is they haven't really worked out all the bugs, but 15.1, usually they fix all the yeah. bugs. But update your phone when the, or your computer or whatever it is, when those updates come, they provide some very important protections for yourself. Yep, absolutely. And personally speaking, like I even do the zero updates. Like if a new phone or OS update comes out, I will install it. Uh, I won't say like right away, but I will say within four hours, I'll do it. Like if it comes out in the morning, I'll like set my computer to do it at lunch. If it comes out in the afternoon, I'll update like after work. Because the other painful part is like updating takes a while. And, you know, when you work with computers, I'll, like if you don't have a computer to work on, uh, to do work on, it's very, uh, you can't really do any work. <laughs> So I try and do it on off hours because it may take 30 or 45 minutes, but yeah. And I do feel pain with getting those first releases. It's like, they're never always, they're never 100% right on the first release. So, and it's usually that dot one release where everything gets fixed, but I'm very impatient. So I like getting the newest stuff like right away. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. We know a lot about Drew people. Now we know he's impatient. He wants his presence the first day. He doesn't want to wait to open it. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that is very true. Like uh birthdays, Christmas, like I don't want like any cake or anything. I want to open those presents like first thing and then, then we'll do everything else. <laughs> yeah, it's the same way. So we have Christmas morning breakfast and then we have uh, open presents. He is just so impatient with that breakfast. Normally he loves breakfast, but not that day. Yep. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. I think that the interesting piece that we have to really always keep in mind is that technologies are going to be put in the marketplace and everybody's going to buy them because anything is shiny and new, we all want, right? So we all want the latest and greatest. But the question, I got in this conversation with someone a couple of years ago about, do I need to get a new phone every two years? Like they asked me to. Mm -hmm. Yes and no. The basic function of your phone, if you have a flip phone, it still works. So you could do, please edit that out. That still <laughs> works. If you have a flip phone, you could still call text and all that stuff it might not be fancy and all the things like mm -hmm. the regular phone but you can still do it yep. what the newer phones do is things like 5g technology or new functionalities that come in browsers or safety or security or whatever it is the newer the phone the more enhancements it has mm -hmm. to protect you and protect the, the the seller so apple wants this phone to be a functional efficient device for you and they believe you can do all of your work not just on your laptop but you can live mm -hmm. your whole life on this thing right here and there's a lot of truth to that but if you have a flip phone or an older phone those things become more difficult and your phone can slow you down as well so you don't just get slowed down by um uh the carrier speed but if you got like me 78 uh, tabs open which i always have 78 slows you down you know if you're you have a program that's spinning or waiting for an instruction or a response or a command that'll slow you down so it's just a lot to know yeah yeah and just the only thing i would add to that is like uh i think apple is really good about supporting their products for a long time so like if you have an iphone as long as it's you know like moderately recent 
it'll still be under support, especially like longer than two years. Whereas Android phones, like the manufacturers may say, we're going to support it for a year and a half or two years, or, you know, maybe less. And that's where it gets a little scary because you always want to get security updates for your phone. And if you're uh, provider, whether it's like Samsung or some other Android thing, if they're not providing updates, then that's a, you know, that's a risk that you have to be willing to take if you want to keep your old phone and not upgrade. And, and I would just add this one last thing. Both your phone and your computer have the ability to be backed up. And this mm-hmm. is important when ransomware and phishing and all that other stuff comes. So depending on how much stuff you have on your phone, you could buy a, a storage plan from Apple or whoever your vendor is and back up your phone, a complete backup. So if you have to do a full system reset or something of that nature, it just comes right back. Or if someone steals or hacks your, well, please not steal, but if someone hacks in or does something ransomware, you you can say, okay, thank you. It was nice knowing you, uh, yeah. hang up and then restore your phone back from your backup. Yeah. The same thing is true on your computer. The problem with the computer backup though, what did you tell it to back up? You know, so did you tell it to back up all your apps and everything? Or did you tell it to back up just documents? What are you backing up? So mm-hmm. depending on how you set up your, your backups on your tech, on your computers or, or desktops or whatever, depends on what that means for that ransomware or that phishing attack, you know, because how much control you have, you know, and there's an argument, we'll talk about encryption in one of our podcasts coming up soon, but there's an argument to encrypt everything. So encrypt your phone, encrypt your computer so that you're not subjected to this thing. But the problem with encryption is not just for yourself, but if you send a document, a Word or a PDF document to someone and you've encrypted your computer, that person now needs a password to open that document. So yeah, yeah, I think encryption is good. It just means it's not quite, you know, one, two, three. There are yeah. other pieces to consider. That's, I think encryption should be a good topic for our next one because that's a, that's a really good point. And there's a lot of... Uh, uh, there's a lot to say about encryption, I think, good and bad. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, encryption is a good failsafe. It is yeah. really a good thing to have if you are like, you know, if you're the CEO of Google or the CIO of Duke or something, encryption is a good thing to have because someone's always trying to get to you, trying to get at what you're doing or your innovations or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you're just a mom and pop, you know, you create some emojis and Word documents and stuff like that. You may not be as vul- as vulnerable as someone in in a more you know political or highly visible place, and so you might not need encryption. But I think it should be considered, and you can mm-hmm. actually encrypt specific documents. So, for example, if you get your bank statements and God forbid you download it to your computer, you can encrypt it. You know, if you want to, you can encrypt a document. Still has that password requirement or something. But but there's that part. And so when we do talk about this, we'll explore it a little bit further. It might be a two-part discussion of encryption and the bad of encryption. Thank you for listening to Eminent Technology. If you like the show, please review, subscribe, and recommend us to your friends and family. We'd love to hear feedback from you as well. You can email us at eminentteachnology at gmail.com. See y'all soon.